It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Today is Thursday, March 10th. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this is Raven News. The Sitka Assembly is considering capping the number of short-term rentals in Sitka, at least temporarily. When it met on March 8th, it greenlit a moratorium on conditional use permits for short-term rentals for one year. But it won't be enacted until it comes before the Assembly for a second reading. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. Ben Kinzer moved to Sitka during the pandemic as an AmeriCorps member with his partner. And in the last year and a half, he said they'd moved six times because they couldn't find permanent housing. This has just been so stressful. Um, There were many times where we were worried and preparing to be possibly homeless in a few months or living out of our car, um, which I didn't expect, like, especially because we both have jobs um, and we can pay to rent places. We just can't find anywhere to rent. Kinzer told the assembly he thought the moratorium was a step in the right direction to tackling Sitka's housing woes. If enacted, the moratorium on new permits for short-term rentals in residential zones would extend from April of 2022 to April of 2023. Those who already have conditional use permits for short-term rentals would not be affected. And sponsors say it's only a first step toward protecting the availability of affordable housing in Sitka, where the number of legal short-term rentals has jumped in recent years. But Lori Boisa, who leads Visit Sitka, said the moratorium was bypassing the real issue. I believe that the housing issue in this community is a much bigger problem than short-term rentals. I think short-term rentals are the easy, sexy thing to focus on, but I think that there are much bigger issues than that. I think the lack of affordable housing is the is the crux of the problem. And the lack of the physical buildings in this community is a part of the problem. Sponsor Kevin Mosher said he knew the moratorium wasn't the final solution, just a stopgap to give the assembly time to tackle housing. It's like you're in a boat with a hole in it. All this moratorium does is plug the hole so that we can start bailing out the water. The bailing out of the water are possible ordinances, policy changes, etc., that we do to help uh, address this issue, the housing issue. But Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis had several concerns about the ordinance. It wouldn't stop new short-term rentals from cropping up in commercial zones. And he thought it set a bad precedent to bring the ordinance before the Assembly without the Planning Commission reviewing it first. And he didn't think the Assembly had the data yet to support it. I think it's um, bad enough when we make policy off of bad data, skewed data, flawed data. But to make a policy based off of no data, uh, I believe, is absolutely horrible. Assemblymember Rebecca Hemshoot said she would vote yes, at least on first reading. She hoped it could give the Assembly time to investigate Sitka's housing issues and dig up some recent data, an effort she said had been stymied by the pandemic. I'm not sure that a moratorium is needed to do all of these things, but if it gives us a cooling off period and a chance to really investigate and come back with changes that happen in that year that work for Sitka, then I'm going to support. Ultimately, the Assembly voted 5-1 to one in favor of the ordinance, with Mayor Eisenbeis opposed. It will likely come before the Assembly for a second reading at its next regular meeting. 
Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The first brown bears of the spring have been spotted in Sitka. Not a moment too soon, the Assembly is reviving a bear task force to address increasing conflict between bears and humans within the community. The new task force will spend six months investigating Sitka's bear history. They'll review work and suggestions from the last task force, which was established in 2005, along with studying bear deterrent efforts in other communities. Assemblymember Crystal Duncan, who sponsored the discussion item with Rebecca Himshoot, said the decision came on the heels of Sitka's worst year for bear killings in the last 30 years. We want to prevent that, and we know that it needs to start now. And so the education and kind of gearing up as far as are we doing enough, what more can we do? Last year's bear activity was unprecedented. 14 bears were killed in Sitka last year, and that's more than double any other year on record since 1980. The Sitka Tribe of Alaska asked the Assembly to prioritize the community's bear issue during the government-to-government meeting this winter. On March 8th, ADF&G wildlife biologist Stephen Bethune told the Assembly that the community needs to figure out a way to deal with its garbage problem. If there is a silver bullet, and it won't solve the problem entirely, but if there was one one method that is going to significantly um, impact our issues, it's bear-resistant containers. And whether that's individual um, cans for for homeowners or some sort of centralized um, bear-proof dumpsters where people bring their trash to that. City Administrator John Leach said that whatever the bear working group came up with, there would be a price tag for the city to consider. You know, we talk about uh, bear-proof cans. They're expensive. We may not be able to do that uh, across the entire community. It may be targeted to higher traffic areas for bears, um, but there's a cost to that. And if the community wants it, we need to bear that cost. I don't mean that in there's a pun there, but <laughs> um, we need to uh, absorb that cost somehow if we're not able to find it in, in, you know, by means of grant. The task force will be comprised of representatives from ADF&G and the city, the Sitka tribe, BIHA, and the Sitka National Historical Park, among other agencies. The state of Alaska is moving forward with unloading an iconic state ferry that's been idle for more than two years. The Department of Transportation says four parties have expressed interest in the nearly 60-year-old Malaspina. Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports. The Malaspina ferry hasn't sailed since December 2019. The Dunleavy administration decided then to tie it up at a private facility near Ketchikan rather than invest at least $16 million into the steelwork needed to keep it seaworthy. But even idle, the state is paying upwards of $75,000 a month in mooring fees and insurance costs at the private Ward Cove facility. DOT announced in February that an unnamed U.S. buyer who would keep the 450-passenger ship in Alaska was interested. It solicited proposals from other interested parties and got three more prospective buyers. DOT spokesperson Sam Dapsevich said Wednesday that they're now reviewing those proposals. Hopefully we'll we'll have something in there that can allow the Malaspina to you know, remain in Alaska and maybe be used for something that preserves the vessel's historical value and, and promotes the marine highway system. Coast Alaska put in a public records request to DOT to find out who was interested in buying the Malaspina. 
On top of the list is MB Malaspina, a limited liability company incorporated on the day of DOT's filing deadline to express interest in the ferry. Its agent is John Binkley, a prominent Fairbanks Republican. He also owns half of the Ward Cove Dock Group, a partnership with a family firm that's paid by the state to store the Malaspina and other idled marine highway vessels. Binkley confirmed he and his partners are interested, but said he wasn't ready to talk about it. Other interested parties were more forthcoming. We like these projects. We like to think big and nothing really scares us. That's Greg Meyer of Cordova. He and his wife own a restaurant on Prince William Sound. He says his family was sad when the ferry Taku was sold for scrap in 2018. The Malaspina could be redeveloped by beaching it on tidelands that are part of a former Cordova cannery property they own. That thing has 245 bunks on it. Cordova has a housing shortage, and we have seasonal workers that can never get housing in the summer, so it, it, it would help for to stimulate our economy. Another interested party is Meridian Global Consulting, an Alabama-based firm that says it owns three vessels of similar size. Here's Meridian's owner, Jonathan McConnell, speaking from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. There's a market out there. I mean, it depends on what, if they're, if they're going to ask, you know, $4 million for this vessel, then it's not worth it. This isn't the first time McConnell has reached out to the state to buy the Malaspina. Last year, he'd offered $625,000 for the ship to be repurposed as a floating barracks. It would house security contractors working to protect international shipping off the Horn of Africa. But now the state says it wants the Malaspina to remain in Alaska, and he says his firm could do that. McConnell says he's talking to partners in Alaska to turn it into a floating attraction. I think it's a, you know, it's a pretty neat experience to be able to, you know, eat a eat a meal on board an old, you know, beautiful vessel that's, you know, to be used as a, a museum and also as a, you know, a hotel and also, you know, as just a venue to eat. The fourth interested party is High Seas Limited, which DOT says is registered in India. A BBC investigation last year found the firm had bought an historic British ocean liner at auction, saying it would be a floating hotel in Dubai, but it was broken up for scrap. DOT's regional spokesman Sam Dapsevich says his agency acknowledges that there has been commercial interest in the ship, but it wants to ensure that the Malaspina comes to a dignified end. The state doesn't want the vessel to end up a derelict somewhere because someone bought it and didn't have the means to take care of it or... We prefer that it not be cut up for scrap, like what took place with the Taku years ago. Other ideas thrown around last year included scuttling the Malaspina in deep water. Governor Dunleavy had also offered to give it away to the Philippines, but state officials say the government in Manila wasn't interested. DOT hasn't committed to any timeline, but says any transfer would have to be approved by the feds because of federal highway dollars used for its upkeep. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.